Are you sending direct mail? Is your phone ringing off the hook with motivated seller calls? If it's not, it's probably because you're not marketing. One of my favorite ways to reach motivated sellers is by using direct mail. And the reason is, is I can target those who may have recently got a divorce or who have inherited a property from a death um, and so on and so forth. I can also target high equity. I can target absentee owners. And it is a tried and true way to get your message out. And more importantly than that, to get your phone ringing. I want you guys to go to dpipodcast.com forward slash direct mail so you can see the exact mail provider that I use. I want to share them with you. They do letters and postcards. Letters as low as 59 cents and postcards as low as 39 cents. Mike and I send hundreds, if not thousands of postcards and letters to motivated sellers in our market every single week. Reason is, is because it works and we are going to continue to send direct mail because it works. So if you're not using a mail provider already, we want to share with you the company that we use. And they will hook you guys up with special pricing. Mention David Dodge or Mike Slane when you contact them. Go to dpipodcast.com forward slash direct mail to get more information. Welcome back to season two of the Discount Property Investor Podcast. Our mission is to share with you what we have learned from our experience and the experience of others to help you make more money investing like a pro. We want to teach you how to create wealth by investing in real estate the Discount Property Investor way. Make sure you never miss an episode and download the Discount Property Investor app in Google Play or iTunes today. To jumpstart your real estate investing career, visit freewholesalecourse.com, the most complete free course on wholesaling real estate ever. Thanks for tuning in. All right, guys, this is the this is David Dodge with the Discount Property Investor Podcast. We are back, and I am excited to introduce Mitch Steven to you all today. Mitch is an owner financing king. He knows a lot about owner financing on both sides of the transaction. And Mitch is the author of My Life and 1,000 Houses, actually three books in that series. Welcome, Mitch. Mitch, how are you today, buddy? Man, I'm doing good, Dave. Awesome. Good to have you. Good to Man. have you. So I was chatting with Mitch yesterday off, off a podcast, off record. And just getting to know him a little bit. And Mitch is the man. He has done over 2,000 houses to date, basically bought or sold a house every week for the last 20 years. Is that right, Mitch? 22 years, but who's counting? 22 years. So about 100, about 100 houses a year. About 100 houses a year. Wow. Well, Mitch, tell us a little bit about yourself, buddy. Um, you know, I, I graduated from La Calle U. For those of y'all who don't, don't uh, have a Spanish degree, La Calle means the street. It is the most expensive college <laughs> on the planet. It'll take everything you have and kick you out to the curb. Um, and I tried a lot of different things. I have a stack of business cards about two inches tall of things I tried and failed at. Um, I think probably one of the reasons that it took me so long to find myself is that every time I failed, I would make sure I paid everybody back and got everything right before I moved on to the next thing. It took me a lot of time sometimes to recoup and recover. Uh, but I always, I always managed to keep my good name and my good credit and it's proven to be well worth the pain. Um, I started out by accident, bought a little efficiency condo to live in and then one came up down the street that was a two bedroom that was much nicer and had a loft and everything and so i rented out my first one and then i moved into the second one that had two bedrooms and then i rented out the second bedroom to a roommate 
and I was not only living for free, I was probably making 50 or 60 bucks when everything went right. And awesome. then the light bulb nice. went off and I thought, that's nice. How do you make that happen again? You know, my whole life is just a culmination of a whole bunch of events. And when it's painful, you try to figure out how do you stop that from happening ever again. Right. And then when something pleasurable happens, you're like, okay, now how do I make that happen more often? So I've just been morphing for, you know, 58 years trying to figure out how to mitigate the liabilities and, and exponentiate the good stuff. So um, my first year, I, 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 just, I set aside, um, you know, $30,000. When I sold those condos and everything, I had more money than I'd ever seen in my life or ever expected to see, which wasn't a lot of money, but it was thirty, forty thousand bucks, which was more than I made all year at my job. That's where the light bulb started to get even brighter. It's like, wow, like what's up with this? You know, how does this work? Because, you know, this was a lot more pleasurable than going to work 365 days a year and making the same amount of money. Right. And so um, I put uh, $30,000 at the bank which was about what I needed to, to, to live, you know, what I made a year. I didn't make very much money. By the way, for your listeners out there that don't make a lot of money, it could be your greatest blessing. Uh, for once in your life, not making a lot of money could be your greatest blessing because it doesn't take a lot to exceed yourself and to become independent. You know, if you can just get, in my case, if I could just get thirty, thirty-six thousand $36,000 a year coming in, I didn't have to have a boss. You know, if I'd had a $250,000 a year job, that had been a different challenge, you know, with the, with the insurance and the perks and the benefits and the car and the phone, you know, it would have been a way bigger challenge. And I got kind of, I would have got like so many people maybe trapped in those velvet handcuffs, you know, where there's so much more out there to get out of life, but you just, you can't risk because you have it so good or you have it just good enough. So I took my first year to go see what I could do. Cause I figured I was bartending. You know, I figured I, I was looking for a bartending job when I found that one and I'm going to take a year off and I'm going to pace myself exactly in my budget like I did when I had a job. I was just take so much out a month, you know, and make this thing last me a year. And I wanted to find out what Mitch Steven could do in a year of full-time concentrating on this business. And uh, the first year I did 45 houses. The second year I did 65 houses. And the third year I did 150 houses exactly. I had 97 of them sold and I had 53 of them in my inventory on January the 1st after that third year was over. And uh, it was a different time. Um, back in the day, there wasn't a, a guru on every corner and a seminar every week. There was virtually no competition for houses. You could actually get in. Remember the old classified newspaper ads? Does this is, this is back in 92 or 6? Well, I started in 96. So 96, 97, by 98, I was, did yep. about 50 houses. Sure, sure. Um, Back in the days, anybody remember the classified ads in a, in a thing called the newspaper that they used to throw on your front porch? You oh, yeah. get in the classified ads at 8 o'clock in the morning, and by 12 o'clock, you could have a deal. Hands down, no fuss, no muss, just straight up hardcore deal, a really good deal, 50 cents on the dollar, whatever, sometimes better. And if you screwed up, you'd get two of them, and you'd be worried about how you're going to find the money for both of them. <laughs> so it was rather easy back then with just the classified ad. I guess the competition wasn't as fierce as it is today. There was no competition, hard to speak of. You know, maybe there was 10 or 15 guys in town, and there was a town was 2 million people, and I don't know how many houses, but a lot of houses. And, uh, you know, the, the, other, the, down, the other side of it, though, was there was no free education. There was, there was no internet to get everything from. I mean, you had to – I learned everything out in the street, getting my huevos kicked up into my throat, you know, trying to figure out right. how to stop that from happening. <laughs> and uh, luckily, I, I survived. So um, one, at one point, though, I had 25 rental houses. And we're going to talk about the flip side of this coin, the buy and hold and the owner finance and how they compare to each other. And I'm not – I'm not lambasting the buy and hold side. I just chose the other side of the coin to proliferate in. So let me interrupt for one second, guys. Just want to inter inform the audience here. So when I had my call with uh, with Mitch yesterday, we were talking about you know what we were, what we were doing, what we specialize in. And as you all know from listening to me, I like to wholesale. I have some rentals, and I like to do some fix and flips here and there. I do a little bit of everything. Mitch really, really, really zeroed in on the niche of owner financing and that's why i brought him on the show today it's owner financing my sale not my purchase 
Absolutely. The sale, which I think is even better. I'm not a huge fan of owner financing the purchase because there's pros and cons of everything you do. And to me, the cons outweigh the pros if you have the funds or the ability to get the funds. What Mitch does is very, very niche. And that is that he owner finances the sale of the property. So Mitch, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, I forgot to, to drop that in the beginning. So yeah. I owner financed the sale for 30 years fixed at 10% plus or minus whatever Dodd-Frank allows me. And, and there's no, there's no, my, my buyer doesn't have to refi. There's no time limit for them. I, actually, I want them to go the whole 30 years. That's what I really want. Unfortunately, most notes get paid off within seven to 10 years in America for various reasons. You know, the biggest reason is they decide to get a bigger house or move. And so yeah. they sell the house to somebody on a new loan and I get cashed out. Right. But, one bank, one bank pays the next bank typically. Yeah. And I am the bank. Make no mistake. I am the bank. So we're going to talk a lot about uh, the dichotomy between buy and hold and the, the owner finance strategy. There's pros and cons to both. Believe me, you know, there's, there's nothing's easy, right? <laughs> so, right. you know, there's the pros and cons and you have to decide where are, but I had gotten to 25 houses. I was supposed to make $300 a house spread between what I owed and what I was collecting. And uh, you know, when I, when I finished the year out, you know, I was supposed to make $7,500 a month positive cash flow on paper you know, the 300 times 25. But I knew that nothing, it, things weren't going to go that smooth. So I was just trying to get myself free at that $3,500 a month uh, passive income or, or mailbox money. I've, I've since stricken the word passive from my vocabulary because that's a fake word. Um, just saying it takes energy. So, um, uh, so I, I just planned on out of the 7,500 that I would be able to keep 3,500 and not even that happened because as the landlord, and I might have been a piss poor landlord, Lord, and I won't deny that. But even the best landlords, you got one air conditioner go out on a house that's making $300 a month positive, that's $3,600 a year. I mean, damn near your whole year could be shot if that air conditioner costs you $2,800. Bucks, you know what I mean? The whole right. year that house is gone over one incident. And, you know, so I got to the end of that year uh, 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 being self-employed and I didn't make any money. And I was having to hustle side jobs and do bartending at night still again. I went back and I saw so I became this real big don't wanter and um, I, I wanted out, but I needed to get out with my reputation and my credit intact still. I was still in that mindset. Like I, I, I need to get out of this, but I, I, I'm not going to do it. You know, I'm not going to file bankruptcy or ruin my credit or anything. I got to figure out how to get out of it. And so I, I, I took my last $10,000. This is in 1995 or 96. And, um, you know, $10,000 is a lot of money back then more than it is now, but it's a lot of money to anybody when it's your last $10,000. It doesn't matter who you are. If it's your last $10,000, what year it is, it's a lot of money. Right. 10,000, 10,000. And if it's your last 10, boom. Yeah. And so I hired this guy who told me, look, I can solve your problem. Uh, I want $10,000 to do it because it's going to be worth it. He goes, I know that you're a doer, so I don't have to worry about your work ethic or that you can do it. It's just, will you do it? And will you, will you let it sink in? I said, so I'm contemplating giving him this $10,000. I said, well, how sure are you? He says, I'm positive that the system works. I've been doing my home. I had this guy to the point of make sure you hire someone who's doing what you're hiring to teach you to do. You know, when you get a mentor, make sure they're doing what you're doing. Uh, he had 500 free and clear houses that he had owner financed. And he had a mixture of owner finances and rentals for reasons we will discuss in the future here. But, and I, he says, but I don't want you to be mad at me because <clears throat> you're either going to get it or you're not going to get it in like 15 days. And, and, and I'm going to charge you $10,000 for that 15 days. And I don't want you to, to get mad at me. And I said, well, how much out of, out of that 70, he goes, but you won't be, you won't be negating all those houses completely. You'll be doing something different, but you'll, um, you'll still have those houses, but you won't be responsible for them. And I said, well, okay, how's that? I said, I said, well, how much of this 7,500 will I be able to clear if I use your method? He said the whole 7,500. So I did some real quick math in my head. I'm going to pay him $10,000. And he's telling me that the 7,500 will, all of it will come into my bank account. So if I invest $10,000 and I get 7,500 a month, how long does it take me to get my money back? Oh, a month and a half. Okay. I'm in, I'm in. I don't give a damn how many days it doesn't take to get it done. Uh, if, you, if I can get it in one day, I'm in. You're good. Right. Uh, right. No hard feelings. 
So he showed me how to owner finance. He says, go out and get and talk to all these people. Take your vacant ones first, put them up for sale, ask for a down payment. <clears throat> you know, when you're doing landlording, you can get, you know, at the time these rents were around 750. I could get 750 first month's rent and I could get a deposit equal to the first month's rent. So I was collecting 1500 bucks down of which only half of it was really my money because the other half was a deposit, right? A refundable deposit under conditions. Right. Well, in a down payments, you can get as much as you can get. You know, you know, I've had people on hundred thousand dollar houses give me thirty thousand down. I don't know any landlords that get a thirty thousand dollar non-refundable deposit, but some days I do get thirty percent down or twenty percent. I, I don't take less than ten percent. So on a hundred thousand dollar house, I the minimum I'll accept is is a is ten thousand down. I mean, I can fix a broken house with ten thousand down. I can't fix a house with a fifteen hundred dollar. Well, first month's rent is already spent, right? Because it was the rent. And it comes in, so it was 750 bucks. I can't even replace the carpet, you know? So, so I listened to him, <clears throat> long story short, I went and I didn't even believe in the concept that much wholeheartedly, but I was going to go through the motions. Going through the motions, I was able to pick up average $3,000 down on 25 houses and the sales prices were around $38,000 at the time, 1997 no. in San Antonio, Texas. Okay, so back up for a sec. You were able, so you went and picked up, do you, now you're saying that you bought these with the financing or no? Yeah, I bought them with, um, <laughs> with, uh, FHA financing, you know, and every one of them I bought as if I was a homeowner, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. I got a couple like that too. No problem. Yeah. So know, well, I figured yeah. the only time they get pissed off at me of that is if I didn't make my payment, I get in trouble with that if I didn't make my payments. Absolutely. You know? But in the, but if you don't make, if you make your payments, it's no big deal. So, yeah. um, you went and bought 25 houses, you said? Yeah, I had 25 rentals. Oh, you already had 25. It took okay. me two years to get them, two, two, two and a half years to get them. And then I quit my job and thinking I had, I had that mailbox money coming in of it out of the 7,500, at least 3,500 would stick, but it didn't. You know, I think I lost a thousand dollars that year. Uh, move outs, vandal. Of course I wasn't dealing. Yeah. In the so vacancies, maintenance, were you doing all your prep, all your property management yourself? Yeah. 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 It was. Yeah. So, so, well, you're saving money though. That's the, that's the, that's the why I ask. So you're, you're between vacancies, non-payments of rent, evictions, and, um, you know, and move outs and, and damage and all that type of stuff. You were left with what, half of that 7,500? No, I, I lost a thousand dollars that year. Wow. Well, but you got to remember, I wasn't buying in the nicest parts of town. In fact, I was buying in the toughest parts of town and I was learning a lot about human nature too at the same time. I mean, these people are ruthless, you know, you know, if their lips are moving, they were lying and it took me a little while to catch on that. And I'm a very nice person. I'm a very <laughs> believing person. And a lot of that went out the window, you know, over the years, like I have to keep today. I have to keep a management either company or, 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 or limb in front of me because because I just assume go beat someone with a baseball bat than to listen to their bullshit anymore. You know? <laughs> uh, I, and I don't buy, I've had people shave their heads and tell me they had cancer and I gave them six months out of the graciousness of my heart thinking I was doing the right thing only to find out they never did have cancer, you know? And yeah, pe people are, people are shady, man. People are shady. So you had 25 houses, you were renting them. You lost a thousand within 12 months or at, at the 12 month mark. Is that when you met this guy, this coach essentially, and paid him for his, his information? Yeah, I said, I got to get out of this. It's killing me, but I don't know what to do. Okay. He says, I know how to fix the problem. I can fix it real quick. Don't be mad at me when it doesn't take very much. And so he convinced me. So I went out. And some, of the, the some, of the, some of the best answers to our problems are the simplest. Absolutely. It was not. So that, was part of, that was part of the thing is I kept trying to make it complicated. It wasn't complicated. Right. Well, most, yeah, most of the toughest problems have the most simple solutions and we complicate it as a, as it just as humans. It's, it's pretty crazy. So go on, Mitch. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. That's okay. So, 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 uh, I went out, I don't remember three months or four months, but anyways, I started with my vacancies. I got a little, uh, you know, I, I got my vacancies, got a down payment. I got people making this, the same payment or a little bit more to own because people would pay more to own per month. And so, I ended up with about the same $7,500 a month cash flow, but I had collected 3,000 down from 25 people. Do the math. I had $75,000 in the bank, which was not a deposit. It was my money. It was non-refundable down payments. I'd sold them the house on a mortgage and a deed of trust where I was the lien holder. You know, it wasn't a contract for deed or it wasn't. So you actually, so that, so that was one of my questions here. So I own 53 rentals. My audience has, you know, listened and, and watched 
me grow from, you know, only about five or 10 rentals to where we are at now. We talk about them a lot in, the, in our episodes. We rent all those out, you know, one, two, three year leases. We just got a couple Airbnbs that aren't even online yet. So we're doing a little bit of that, but none of the properties that I have um, were sold and all the, all of the, you know, the, the mortgages that I have with my private lenders or my banks are, are in my name. And whenever they want to take occupancy of the property, they just sign a lease. So your process is a little different. Explain that. I sell it to them just like, you know, and I'm the mortgage company. Give me 3000 down on this $38,000 sales price. You owe me 35,000 at 10% for 30 years. At the time I was trying to get down to 25 or 20 years because I wanted my cash flow to be as high as possible, but I didn't want to stress these people out in the lesser parts of town, they didn't have a lot of money. So a lot of times I would go 30 years, but I would, the, the point is I was still collecting uh, the same amount that I was as rent. Um, but it was in the form of a mortgage payment, not a rent payment. So I had 75,000 in the bank and all of a sudden these people are the owners and the, the $7,500 a month is coming in, but it's not leaving to go to the air conditioner man or the, or the hot water repair guy or the roof guy or the make ready person to, to, to for the next move out I, because it wasn't my house. I didn't own it anymore. I just owned the payment. I owned a $35,000, 30 year, 10% uh, fully amortized payment. So Mitch, let me ask you stopped. this. All of them me, stopped. I, I'm impressed and I'm intrigued. So let me ask you this. So you have a property that you are selling to somebody. Do you have debt service on this property? Yeah, at the time I had FHA loans on those 25. They weren't wrappable, technically. You know, okay. I didn't have permission from the FHA to wrap these mortgages. But again, I figured I'm in a spot. I had to take a chance here. If they want to call the note, I guess they will. But as long as I make my payments on time, I don't think anyone's going to call me about anything. Okay. So that's my question though. So were you able to take this to a title company and sell it to where the buyer has I didn't has have to title? take it to a title company. I was the lender. I already knew the title was clear. I had a title policy when I bought it and I knew that there wasn't any other debt besides what I could see. And so I didn't need my, and my people down here, they're not sophisticated enough to even ask for a title policy. That, that, that doesn't give me license to screw them, but, but I okay. already knew the no, no. So I'm, I, Hey, Mitch, I, I get it. I'm just asking because I'm curious, and I think that my audience knows less than me, right? That's why they're listening. And if I'm, That's why if I'm, I'm here. Having, yeah, if I'm stumbling, so there, there you go. So, and I appreciate you coming on the show. Absolutely. I'm just trying to comprehend those. So on the taxes, like if you go to your county website, every county has a website. I got two of them in St. Louis because we have a stupid city-county border. It's only two cities in the United States that have that. We're one of them. Dumb. So we have two websites instead of one, right? But when you go there, you can see the, the, the payment history, what's currently owed, or the current year's amount, and then who the owner of record is. Does that remain in your name or does it go to theirs? It's still in yours, right? I was put in their name. How do you, do, how do you put it in your name without the title, you know, without it get, coming back? Just never did. It's just never had a, you just never had a problem with that. I made my payments. Everyone left me alone. No one cared. So no quit claim or nothing like that. Nope. How do you ensure that the, uh, I'm not saying this works today. We're telling a story about 19. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. Okay. I get it. I get it. So no. I guess one, one more question. How would you ensure that they pay the taxes? I collected the taxes, the insurance and the payment. Oh, you collected the whole PITI and then managed. I get it. Okay. Understood. Understood. So you just have this kind of, it's not, it's not necessarily filed with the county or the city anywhere. You're just managing it. No, I filed them as the owner of record down at the courthouse. No one was questioning it. These people okay. were not sophisticated. Enough to, and, and I was going to make it right no matter what happened. If they did call the note, I was going to go find money. And I was you were going to make it. Yeah, and I'm not, I, wasn't, I wasn't questioning that. No, no, but it's, a, but it's a great question and a great thing because, you know, yeah. one of the reasons I, 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 um, I hesitate sometimes is that, you know, like all strategies, they could be used for evil if, you, if someone's got the mind to do that. And, but but my mindset from the day I was born was always to pay people back and do the right thing and not ever, I, I don't want to go to jail either, you know what I mean? So, I mean, you know, if they called the note, I was going to pay it. 
you know, something. No, one, I get, one it. Way or the I other. get it. Okay. Well, here, I don't want me to get off on a tangent. So you had these 25 houses, you were renting them. You hated your life. It sounded like speaking for you here. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> you weren't making shit. And, and then you, you hired this guy. He taught you about the ability to become the bank, essentially. And even though you had notes, you were owner financing these two people on top of those. Some people refer to that as a wraparound. It is and a wraparound. And then... Um, well, a wraparound mortgage, how, you know, a wraparound mortgage discloses to the buyer that there's an underlying debt. And if it, that, that doesn't, doesn't get paid by me, there's a problem. <laughs> it explains right. that to them, but they buy it anyway. It's their only way to buy a house. These it's their only way to buy it. So then what happened? So, so, are not going to go to the bank and get a loan. Right. So then you pivoted, right? You said, all right, screw this. I'm not going to rent these anymore. I'm going to sell them with owner financing. What was your average term and rate? 10% 30 years. But at the time I could get 12, I could go um, 30 years, 12% because there was no Dodd-Frank. I could go, you know, because the, the, the amounts were so small that, a point or two in the interest rate didn't hurt them. But the point was, was that they were paying the same to rent across the street as the guy that living in my house was paying to own PITI. So does a renter, you know, one of the things you have to believe from the top of your head to the tip of your toe in the owner finance business is that middle to lower income, these people would rather own for that monthly fee than to rent for that monthly fee. And if you don't believe that, then you need to just move on to another podcast right now. No, I believe that. I get but, it. But, I get that. But if you take all the rentals in the whole city of San Antonio, which is a huge amount, is a huge number, and you pick any percentage of that number that would want to own instead of rent, there's enough there to make you rich, okay? There's a, the numbers are there. The, 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 the pool of people is huge. And it makes sense. You know, uh, they're, they're kind of like – Tote your note car lot buyers. It's not, a, it's not amount, about the price of the house. It's not about the, 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 the um, payment. It's whether they can afford it or not. It's not about the interest rate. It's can I afford this and what do I have to pay if I don't do this? Well, if I don't, if I don't do this, I go right across the street and I pay the same amount and I get nothing. Yeah, at least this they're building equity. Even if it's a little bit over a long period of time, they're got, it's something versus and it nothing. And it ends. It ends. And it Rent ends. Rent doesn't end. There you go. Okay. Fixed. Love and it. It was fixed. It was a fixed payment. What would the rent be in 15 years from now? Their payment would still be the same. What would the rent be 25 years from now? Their payment would be the same. What would the rent be in 30 years from now? Their payment went to zero. They just got PI now. I mean, TI, taxes and insurance. Right. So Mitch, how long did it take you from the time that you pivoted? So you said this, you hired this guy, you guys went and got coffee a couple of times, whatever. You followed him around for a few days. He taught you what he was doing. How long did it take you? Grand. Don't leave that out. And you paid him $10,000. Love it. So this, this podcast is worth 10 grand guys. This is pretty <laughs> awesome. Okay. So then he teaches you the difference and what you can do on the exit, you change. So you start selling properties versus renting them. How long does it take you from the time that you learn this to get all 25 of these sold and, and bringing in the income, so on and so forth? And what was the average deposit that you were able to collect? Now, I shouldn't say deposit. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold yeah, on, yeah, hold yeah. on. I know a lot about real estate. but doing this 15 years, Mitch. You, you've been doing it a long time. I know a little bit. Not a deposit. You are collecting a non, a non, yeah, it's non-refundable down, down payment. payment. It's a payment. Okay, love it. Okay, so so how long does it take you to go from twenty-five properties? I would imagine some are vacant, some are occupied at that point in time to having all twenty-five sold. Are you able to do this within a year's time? Well, I did it in four months. Some of these were probably I, I, occupied. I took, the though. That's why I, I took the vacancies, advertised them. They sold like this. No one was offering this in, in this town at the time. It sold like that. My resolve went up, said, wow, this is going to work. Then I went and talked to my good, my good payers, and I asked them if they could come up with $3,000 if they want to be the owner. And a whole bunch of them did that. And then I just took the other ones and uh, ran them off or bought them out or or waited till their lease expired, you know, maybe there was a couple of danglers, but I had it all done in, in, in about, and I, and I had 75, because some people gave me 5,000 down in, in the name of having a lower payment or shorter years because the Hispanic. So this is the same, this is the same tenant that essentially could have moved out within six to 12 months, give or take. Right. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden now they're giving you three, four, five grand 
and then they're going to stay for a long time. So yeah, I mean, they were, they I don't were see any my cons here. Right. So they, you, mo, well, I look at everything in life as having pros and cons. There's and, some cons, and I'll tell them to you. Okay, let's hear about it. So I, the way I'm, the reason I bring this up though is I don't see any. You're making more money now. You're locking these people in to long-term plays. Yes, the home is theirs essentially, so you're reducing the maintenance. The not only reducing, and not reducing, I'm cutting it on 100%. Eliminating that, okay. So what, what would be the con here? I guess the only well, con well, would be that, but, that they pay the house off eventually. You're then, getting ahead of me. You're getting ahead okay, of me. Okay, okay. Let me just, so. Let's, let's so, slow down. <laughs> the renters were tearing my houses down in this economic level. These renters were tearing my houses down and leaving. My new buyers were fixing my house up and staying, fixing their house up and staying. It was a different mindset. These people did improvements, added porches, put in pools, uh, built fences, um, painted their own house, uh, put on shutters, you know, uh, decorated the, probably wasn't the color I would have picked, you know, pink or fluorescent green, but I didn't give a care. They were painting their own house and they loved it. So they were staying and all those liabilities from the back fence to the front mailbox completely went away. And my phone, my phone calls dropped to zero and the, 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 the income $7,500 a month was coming in and it was staying in my account because as a, as a, as a landlord, I never knew if, you know, I could collect the rents, on time from some people, but I never really knew if it was my money. Because if 45 days from now the air conditioner broke, broke, I had to take that money out of my account and give it to the air conditioner man or the or hot water heater guy. So I never really knew yeah, how much so we, I really had or how. That's where a I really. Was. That's such a good point. It, it is so difficult to to un, to understand month to month where what you're, you're at. doing with a rental business because money's flying in and it's flying out. And you have reserves and some of it are deposits that you can't necessarily touch, which everybody does. And they have to then dig later to, to refund those deposits. You know, I mean, unless you do it exactly perfect, which is difficult. It is a tough business. The rental business is a extremely tough business. And it is, and I love it. You had mentioned, you had told me this yesterday. You said it again today. It is not passive. That is, that is not true. Now, it is passive in terms of the way the IRS classifies your income, but that doesn't mean that you don't have to work for yeah, it. Yeah, but the that's the IRS only difference. Also, they also, the, the IRS also classifies your car and a boat as an asset. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so very good point. I get it. Yep. No, so don't listen to those dumbasses. Don't listen uh, to them. All right. So, hey, I love it. Let's keep it rolling here. This is exciting. I'm getting pumped up. So, so I got $75,000 in the bank. And $7,500 a month coming in. I have now exceeded myself on both ends of the plane. I got more money in the bank than I ever thought I was going to have. And then I got more money coming in than I planned on having because I, I planned on $7,500 coming in, but I didn't plan on getting to keep it all. Now I'm keeping it all. Now you're keeping all of it. Yeah, what's 7,500 times 12? Was that 75? You know, I'm making $90,000 a year now. Yeah, about 90, you know, give or take. Right. I never made $90,000 a year in my life. Not even close. I was making 30000 when I started on this adventure. Um, so now I'm sitting around and I am so proud of myself, you know, and, 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 and felt like I dodged the bullet. You got me excited. Just listening to the story. And then the note buyers called started calling me. So the note buyers say, Hey, you got that $35,000 note. We want to pay you, um, uh, uh, $30,000 or 30, $32,000 for that note. And so I looked at it and says, well, I owe 17 and that's 32. I mean, that's like $16,000 profit, you know? Uh, what can you do with 25 of them? <laughs> they bought okay. all my notes. Anyways, within, within eight months, I got a half a million dollars in the bank account. That's I awesome. sold all the notes. And... And I didn't know about note buying until they called me. It's like, what do you mean you want to buy my note? What do you mean? You can't buy my note. That's my note. What do you want to do? You know, I, they had to like sit me down on a chalkboard. How did they find you? How did they find you? The courthouse records. I was an independent person that was, had a mortgage, was toting a note for somebody. And, and then I learned, you know, then I, you know, I learned everything the hard way or everything by surprise. Some of it good, a lot of it bad. Uh, then I learned the three letters IRS in how much you had to pay when you made $500,000 in a year. Yeah. What was that number? Oh, like so two, that was, that was the bummer. You know what? 
How, what was that number? 200? Well, you could get it down. I had, you know, I, I had a business and I could start talking about expenses, but you know, it's but still, 100, 150 grand. Yeah. That's see ya. Yeah. Yeah. I went, I went from making $30,000 a year to writing a hundred plus grand check. to an IRS. <laughs> I, you know what? I love that problem though. Yeah, but, but you know, problem to have. emotionally, it's heartbreaking because you're sitting it there is. at 500000 for six months, you know, and it's what you're going to do. And all yeah, and then it's and no you, longer. Yep. And you come no, I'm with you. Organization, it's not all my money. I got, apparently, I have this partner. His name is IRS. This, this <laughs> bastard doesn't do shit and wants everything. Right, right. So, okay, hey, so, what happened next? So, so you, have, you have all these houses. You sell them to the tenants, or, or I'm sorry, to the, to the tenants who become buyers, the tenant buyers or new people that want to buy you own them for a couple months year whatever the case is and then you get note buyers calling you and you say okay i can make 15 20 grand a house and you sell 25 of them boom now you got a five hundred thousand dollar payday and then what that was in 98 99 at this point or is 2000 yet yeah something like that okay i call it 2000 it's not, it's not 2000 yet it's not it's probably 90. not even it's the late 90s so then what have you been doing for the last 20 years? No, no. So there's still, it still evolves. So, so, so then I think to myself, <laughs> you know, like I said, that was pleasurable. How do you make that happen more often? Can you make that happen in a shorter period of time? It took me two and a half years to find the houses. Then I made the notes. It took me a year or so to figure out that it wasn't working. And then I morphed again. So three and a half, four years took me to get here from that original plan. Can we speed that up? So I started buying houses, seller financing them, and selling the note all at the same closing table. I was able to sell pristine notes at the time for 93 cents on the dollar. So if you count the down payment of, of, of 10%, you know, or even if you sold the note for 85 cents, I was still collecting 95%. And, if, and traditionally, if you sell real estate and you pay a realtor, you're, 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 you're not making 95%, right? Right. So, because you got to pay the realtor 6%. So... So uh, I, get, I go on this quest and we start buying houses. We, we, we buy them with, oh, I was buying, I didn't, ha I didn't have any money and the, and the loans were too long to get qualified for. So I learned that, that um, back in the day, again, this doesn't work now, but just follow the theory and the thought. No, process. no, I, we get it. We get it. This is great stuff, Mitch. I went and got a couple of credit cards and I bought a house for $20,000, 10 on this card and 10 I've on that I've done that. Card. And then I got another 10 to fix up the house. And then I owner financed it for 60. And then I sold the note for 55 or 53. And I started doing this over and over with credit cards. Meanwhile, I started applying for every credit card I could find. They were 0% to 1% or 2 3% interest. They were like free money. And at the time, if you had good credit and you applied for a card, they just sent you the card and they didn't hold, they didn't look at how many cards you had or what your potential you could, how you could rate them you know, with all this unsecured credit that you could just walk down the bank and get, you know? And so I got 45 to 50 credit cards that I calculated at one point, if I wanted to spend about 10 days doing nothing but going to banks and getting credit cards, money off my credit cards, I could put $600,000 on my kitchen table with no unsecured. So I started buying, I bought my first hundred houses with credit cards. Now, I'm also in a city where a house could be bought for 12, 15, 20, 25,000 bucks in lower middle uh, economic social areas, you know? And I was in probably the cheapest houses market, one of the cheapest housing markets in the United States by luck, by luck. And so I did this a hundred times in a row. And I got a partner named Sam Madrid, who is Sam Ombre in the book. He's a very, uh, uh, a private guy and he didn't want to be known, but he's later since let it be known that he's proud of the story and doesn't mind if I give his name. So Sam Madrid. And um, we went out and bought our first 450 houses, buying houses, creating note. He went out and got 50 credit cards too. And so, and, and at the time, whoever put the money on their credit card, all the money for all the house had to go on one person's credit card, either mine or his, and he would be the owner and I would be the handshake. If it was my money that bought it, I was the owner. He was the handshake. And we just, you know, because you can't, I, you know, neither he nor I could have to ask permission from each other to clear up something if, if he had all the money in it. It wouldn't be fair, you know. So anyways, we do this 400 to 450 times in a row. 
And then one day, Associates, which was a form of Ford Motor Credit, Associates was the end of the line for every note that was every, every what do you call those um, less than perfect notes? Uh, uh, like subprime type notes sub, or whatever? Subprime, that's the word I'm looking for. Okay. Subprime notes. They were the end of the line for every subprime note because what I come to learn was no matter who was buying my note for whatever price. They were then they, selling it to them. They were putting it in huge bundles and making just a little bit off of every note but they were doing it by the millions, if not hundreds of millions at a yep. time. So even if you were selling a note to somebody else, they would probably essentially sell it to these guys. And you yep. discovered that over time with experience. So well, then I, you discovered went straight it. I discovered it when Associates closed. It, we called it Black Tuesday. And they decided not to buy um, subprime notes anymore because of the fraud in our business. You know, it's always the bad apples ruin the good thing. There were people just painting the outside of houses, creating straw buyers and selling notes to people. And there was dirt floors and nothing inside, inside the front door. Wow. And they would make yep. a few payments for a while and season the note and sell the notes. And so this got to be really rampant. Okay. And so they closed. And here I am with 53 houses in my inventory and my exit just ended. And I'm in a panic. I'm, I'm, I'm waking up in a bed of soaking wet sheets at night. I'm mm -hmm. in a panic. So then I wake up one morning and say, okay, uh, you, fear, uh, action overcomes fear. I, I learned that uh, and got it ingrained in my heart in this situation. I was petrified. I owed lots and lots of money and my exit strategy ended. So I said, well, I got to do what I can and then see where I go from there. What I can do is I can load these houses and I can start collecting payments to offset my payment, but I'm not going to be able to exit. I'm just going to have to collect the payment. So I said, what will that look like? So I, I loaded those 53 houses. I was picking up $5,000 average of down payment. So I had 250 something thousand dollars in the bank and down payments. And I had 50 times, say uh, 400 a month positive cash flow. I had $20,000 a month coming in. I just couldn't exit. And then I thought to myself, why the hell would I want to exit? What have I been doing for the last four? Why the hell would I want to exit this? Yeah, I've been exiting and I've been doing great, but now I have a perpetual income that I've created versus having to then keep going and looking for the next one. It's not correct? perpetual because notes have an end. There's one-time cash, which is the flip. In, out, one check, done. Temporary, got a note. Yeah, I don't know how long it's going to last, 10, 15 years, whatever. Some of them will go 25, 30 years. I don't know. I've never been that long. To, but. to me, 30 years is perpetual. You're, it's well, not truly because it has an end point. I get it. But well, yes, but you are creating an income stream for a long time. Yeah, but you're not hearing me. The average note pays off in seven and a half years in America. So if you think you're going to hold on to 100 notes and ride off into the sunset, oh, I get it. seven I get years, it. you ain't going to have any notes. Because they're just going to go and they're going to get a refi or whatever else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're charging them 10, 12%. If they get healthy or if they sell the house, the new buyer is going to pay you out. And that's usually what happened. My people don't refinance as a general rule. If they could, if they were that kind of mentality, they would never. They would have bought in the first place, place, essentially. Yeah. 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 So, so here I am thinking, what in the hell have I been doing? Why did I ever sell any notes? I do this another year. Another 50 houses, I got a hundred grand a month coming in. And I don't, I don't, I'm not responsible for any repairs. Now, so I was forced to stop selling my notes. What I had to do was go find longer term money underneath that would let, and that's when I started cultivating private lenders. Hey, do you want a $30,000 lien making? At the time, I was giving them 10%, which is what I was charging. Today, I've worked it down to 8%. Do you want to give me $30,000 at 8%, five years interest only, if I give you a, a real estate lien note as collateral that has 55000 on it? And if I don't pay you, you take my note. And if they don't pay you, you take the, the $60,000 house because it used to be, you know, I sold it for sixty. It might even be worth sixty-five now because it's been a few years and the prices went up. So do you want to take a $65,000 house as collateral back with a, with a $55,000 note that this guy's been paying on. And do you want to take that note as collateral for my $30,000 credit card debt that, that I got to do something with? And they'd say, yeah, because it was a no friggin' brainer. You know? Right.
and so I, so I started cultivating private money and getting, and, and since I, I, I couldn't refinance the house though, make, this is one mistake people make in their thinking. I couldn't refinance the house. I didn't own it anymore. What I owned was a note and it's called hypothecating your note, pledging your note as collateral for a lien. You pledge your note and all your first lien rights, which means you've actually pledged the collateral. But in order for my lender to get to that collateral, that guy in the house has to default. So either he either gets paid by me, three fifty a month. If I failed, he'd go to the guy in the house and he'd collect eight fifty a month. And if that guy <laughs> that's a win-win for everybody. If that, yeah, if that guy fails, then he gets a sixty-five thousand dollar house and he's got thirty thousand dollars in it. You've you've eliminated the risk. I love that. Yes, I mean so so. Um, you never can say, you know, as SEC regulations, or anything, there's no guarantee, and you, there's nothing risk-free, but we have minimized it. We have minimized it to, to almost, to, to very, very bearable. I mean, like it's hardly even a threat. Yeah. But there's still risk, and you always got to make sure we say that. Guys, um, you've heard it straight from here. Mitch is the king of owner financing. I love it. Mitch, let's skip ahead a little bit real quick. So you did this and then you started, you started selling these, that company start, quit buying them, or I guess the big dog did. So then you pivoted again. I love it. You pivoted again to just buying these houses like you were before, selling them, but still being the note holder. And, and then now you're not, not selling the note. Now you're not keeping it. Not selling. I was forced to. And you I, were and forced to. Right. Yeah, so then what? You, so then you get more and more houses. You got 100000 a month coming in. What no, do you now, now, now the plan's like coming into view. Oh my God, what have I stumbled into? Wow. What, what's the possibilities here? It, you know, start checking with lawyers. Is this, I mean, is everything okay? I mean, I'm getting, starting to get scared. <laughs> right, I'm gonna, right. I'm going to ramp this thing out the roof. I hope, I hope I'm not missing anything, you know? I start right. checking my stuff out. I check my paperwork. Check my laws. Check everything. Like, you know, give, someone give me the green light, please, because I'm, I'm fixing to go 100,000 miles per hour in the wrong direction if I'm wrong. And so I got it all checked out. Everyone goes, yeah, you're fine. Back then there wasn't even a Dodd-Frank. I mean, I could buy a house. I could show it to someone that day at eight o'clock in the morning. They could come to my office. We could discuss the numbers. They could go home for lunch and to get their down payment, come back while we had lunch and drew up the documents. And by three o'clock, I could be giving them the keys to that house and they're moving in. All in 24 hours. It's, right. it was, it was possible. And it was done from time to time. Normally it takes longer than that, but I'm saying in theory, without all the regulations back then, I could, I could, I could buy a house, sell it and have the guy moving in with the keys by the end of the day, all in one, all in, all, all in one. Mitch, order. are you still doing that today? Is that, are you, you still in this it, business? You can't do it today because Dodd-Frank's given regulations and cooling off periods and disclaimers within so many days apart. It yeah. takes 21 days now to close a house. And it, and it used to be free. My buyer would get in my house for free, no closing costs. Now it costs them, you know, 1800, 2500 bucks because you know, it's a funny thing about consumer protection. Consumer protection always costs the businessman money and that businessman always passes that along to the customer. So consumer protection just screws the customer in the end all the time as far as cost. So, so here we go. We're doing this over and over and over again. So here's the secret to, if you're going to be an owner financier, and this is the, this is the, um, the pro and con with the, with the buy and hold versus the owner finance strategy, uh, buy and hold guys, landlords, you have depreciation and appreciation. I was not getting depreciation because it wasn't my house and I hadn't, you know, I wasn't holding it and I wasn't getting the appreciation because it wasn't my house. Um, depreciation, I had businesses. I wasn't getting that tax write-off, but I would have to find other tax write-offs within the normal scope of business to overcome that, which was 100% possible. We have, you know, today I don't own a truck. I don't own a car. I don't own anything. I get to use them all. My company pays for all of them and they all get deducted off the deducted before I fin figure my bottom line. I'm living with pre-tax dollars in every instance I possibly can that's legal. Like I don't own a car. I don't care if I own a car. I just need to be able to drive one. So I drive my company's car. My company makes $100,000. It pays $30,000 for a car. So now it's only profited $70,000. So I got a $30,000 tax write-off in the Bush era and in the Trump era if you drove a truck over 6,000 pounds, which was classified as commercial equipment. So I get a $30,000 tax write-off to buy a truck. 
everyone else has to make 100000 pay their taxes, and buy their truck with what's left over. I'm buying my truck and, and living off of what's left over after I buy my truck. It's called living with pre-tax dollars. So that's what we're doing. Now, you got the one-time cash. I'm quoting Jack Bosch now from okay. over Cash. And then you got temporary cash, which is the notes, because they are going to expire. So you have to, in the landlord thing, you can buy your houses and stop. You got your forever play already. Those houses are yours for as long as you want them. The rents will go up. The, the, the debt will go down. The values will go up. You know, you're there. I have to, I, I'm not done when I, in the note business. I, I either do flips or I own or finance, but I have to take the cash that I make from that and I have to buy into something forever. And so what I, are you doing with that? That's a great I question. Chose boat and mini storages, self-storage, the easiest rental on the planet. It doesn't, it, when you go to evict, it's not moving people out of school districts or throwing grandma to the curb or anything like that. It's just a bunch of shit in a box that no one cares about anyways. And no one hardly even cries over that eviction for, you know what I mean? When you foreclose on a, a storage unit. Um, so I have 160 door, uh, I'm sorry, I have 1600 doors and everybody owes me $100 on the first. You want to do the math? That's 160000 a month. Now, I don't get to keep it all, but I get to keep plenty of it. And I don't have to work again a day in my life, and I haven't for years. Well, what am I going to do? I don't know what, you know, I, I retired for two years. So when you hear me say conflicting, I've been in the business 24 years, or I've been in the business 22 years, it's because I've been in the business 24 years, but I took two years off in the middle so I didn't want those two years to ruin my numbers. You know, you gotta, you gotta throw those. Out <laughs> Either way, out. 20 plus years, man. That's awesome. So, so, um, but let's talk about appreciation. You landlords are holding these for appreciation. Dude, I bought a house for 30 and sold it for 60 in 30 days. How much freaking appreciation do you guys want? You want to annualize that? Annualize a hundred percent increase in 30 days. That's a, 1200% appreciation rate. I just got my appreciation when I bought, I, because I buy at discounts, you know what I mean? So I, 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 I said, I can live without that appreciation landlord has. I hate it that I don't have to, I don't get any depreciation, but there are more things to this. You could hold, you could lease the house for a year and then owner finance it. And then you got your long-term capital gains. You got a year's worth of depreciation out of those. I just chose to buy million dollar storage complexes and get my depreciation there. I had to go one extra step, make all this money doing this, then buy storages was the extra step. And now I got depreciation, 500, 700, 800, a million dollars at a time, you know? And that's how I work myself out of a job. I also want to point out something else that it, it, it makes some people out there cry. You guys are wholesaling out there? What's the average wholesale profit? Just not yours, not the pro. What's the average wholesale profit out there in the land, do you think, Dave? It's probably like five grand. Okay. I'm picking up, I'm averaging 12% down and averaging 10,000 down. So I'm making more than the wholesaler is making on the down payment. As much or more, probably more, and sometimes way more because I can get a $30,000 down payment sometimes on a $100,000 house. just happens by accident. Okay. So I'm making, I'm averaging 12% down. I'm averaging nine days on the market in my sales. But here's the kicker. I'm making what you wholesalers make, but I average $535 a deal positive cash flow between what I owe my private lenders and what I collect, okay? But let's just call it 500 for easy math. When I finish my deal and I collect about what you're collecting in a wholesale fee or more, I collect my 10,000 down, they still owe me 360 months of $500. That's $180,000 I'm still owed. And you wholesalers are out of the game. You're done at 10 grand. I got my 10 grand and I'm owed $180,000 in positive cash flow in the future. That's why on paper, you're a multi, 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 multi millionaire because every time you do a transaction, you're owed 180 grand. How long does it take to be a millionaire if you're owed 100 million grand? You collect 10,000 down and you got 180 that you're owed. I mean, it's like 200 grand a transaction, say average, because sometimes I owe you more than that. Because uh, sometimes I do houses that make $700 a month. But so, so, so my, my financials 
look like, oh my God. And then you start getting into bank money where you're not borrowing. So what you do is you borrow the private money and you get like 25 houses. Then you take the 25 notes. I'm going to use hypothetical numbers. You got, you borrowed $500,000 and you got a million dollars in notes. You borrowed 500,000 to buy these houses. Then your owner financed them for double. And so you got a million dollars in notes. So you go to the million dollars in notes down the bank and say, hey, I want to pledge a million dollars worth of notes, which actually has $1.2 million in property values backing it up. And I want to borrow $500,000 against my notes and cash out my private lenders. You know what? I'm borrowing from the bank to cash out my 8% five-year interest only lenders. I'm getting 15 years, 5.75 fixed, no balloon, no adjustment. Wow. So what happens is I take the million dollars worth of notes down to the bank. I pledge the notes to get the 500,000 to pay off my private people that were, were in the first position. See, and I pay them off and I get a 15 year fully amortized, no adjustment, uh, uh, no call, 15 year note at 5.75%. Uh, and I just freed up $500,000 of my private money so I can run again. And this, now these, these, these 25 houses are fixed. They're done. They're done. I, I just got to collect payments and make payments. I don't have to worry about anything else anymore. Man, I love it. You guys heard it from the man himself, Mitch Steven, the master at owner financing. So Mitch has a couple books. I want to talk about these books before we wrap up. I don't want to go too long. And if you guys want to learn more about uh, Mitch's course, check out the course. You can check it out at discountpropertyinvestor.com forward slash Mitch. Mitch, tell us about your books real quick. Well, they're all under my life in a thousand houses series. Failing forward to financial freedom is not a how-to book. It's how I learned to morph into this position and, and, and the throws and the twists and turns and the, the pains that I went through to get there in, in the thought process of how I got there, which I think many people find very interesting. And it's very entertaining because uh, believe it or not, uh, I'm kind of funny sometimes. And you might not know that, but you'll figure <laughs> no, it out. You, I get then, it. <laughs> 200, my life in a thousand houses, 200 plus ways to find bargain properties wrote this book because the first book uh, caused the question over and over again, how in the hell do you find so many houses? So I said, well, I'll write that book. And then I wrote a book I really wanted to write myself. My life in a thousand houses, the art of owner financing. This is about, how I do my exact niche and what's involved and how I think about it and why I believe it's one of the strongest things in the world because it is recession proof. I don't need money to buy houses and my buyer does not need a bank to buy my houses. So in the recession, when, when the banks stop loaning, and that's another thing we need to agree on in a recession, the banks are going to stop loaning money, right? When that happens, what happens to the price of houses? They drop. I don't need banks to buy houses. So I'm buying houses now at an all time low in the recession. And then what happens to rents when no one can afford to buy a house? They all got to become renters, right? Because no one can buy a house because the banks are closed. So there's a lot of pressure put on rent. So the rents go up. And what's my owner finance sales price based on? It's based on the rents. I have a formula. We back into the rents to establish the price. So in the middle of a recession, when the rents were going up, my owner finance sale price was going up. I had the only appreciating house in the state of Texas, if maybe not the nation, because I was offering owner financing. My house price was going up with the rents. Everyone else's house was collapsing because no one could get a loan to buy a house. It's a huge dynamic that is very special. It's a very special dynamic. And thank God, by the grace of God, by the luck of God, and a lot of hard work and stick to I, I was I ended up in a position to recognize these dynamics and, and smart enough to learn to capitalize on them. We are going to have to bring Mitch back for another episode because he is just jam-packed with gold nuggets and just wisdom. I love it. So, guys, check out Mitch's series of books, My Life in a Thousand Houses. He's got three of them. He also has a course, and you can find that course at discountpropertyinvestor.com forward slash Mitch. And then Mitch, you had a giveaway you wanted to mention yeah, when you before go, we when end. you go over there, I have a lot of giveaways. I give away the first, I give away my book. If you'll pay the shipping, I want to be clear about that. I don't want anybody mad, but it costs, you know, this is a, this is a robust book. It's, you know, 400 pages. It goes fast, but 
you know, to ship them all would cost me a small fortune to everybody that wanted one. So if you please pay the $7 shipping, I'll get you a free book. If you want a digital download, you know, you can get that. I'll give you the first 100 pages if you just want to get started, see if you like it. But I got tons of giveaways. I got webinars, all kinds of stuff. Just go over to, to the show notes at discountpropertyinvestor.com forward slash Mitch and just find the tab that says free stuff in the show notes over there and pick whatever you want to pick. Uh, I, I, I believe, test me out, see if I'm for you before you do anything. I, I know I'm going to head over there. Guys, one more time. It's discountpropertyinvestor.com forward slash Mitch. And he's got all kinds of free giveaways in there. He's got some courses in there if you want to learn more about how you can do what he's doing. And then again, don't forget to check out the My Life in a, in a Thousand Houses book series. We're going to also put that in the show notes for you. So if you guys are driving or something along those lines, you can go find that information. Mitch, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was an absolute pleasure and I can't wait to have you back. All right, guys, this was an episode of the Discount Property Investor Podcast. Don't forget, you make your money when you buy and you get paid when you sell. Now let's and, go do some- And, and you lose it in the rehab. So, and you lose it in the rehab. That's right. I love it. All right, guys. Thanks again, Mitch. We appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. I'm grateful to you. And until next time, guys, sign it off. Thanks for listening to the Discount Property Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe to help us reach a wider audience. To jumpstart your real estate investing career, please visit freewholesalecourse.com, the most complete free course on wholesaling real estate ever. We would also appreciate it if you left us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Thank you in advance for your support. And remember, you make your money when you buy and you get paid when you sell. Now let's go build some wealth.